the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, which means we've made it to the end of another week. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we're here to take your phone calls and answer Bible questions or life questions. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free from 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, uh, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. As you know, I'm always excited about the weekends. We have a busy weekend here tonight. I'll be finishing uh, Acts, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10. I'm actually going to go uh, into the first two verses of Hebrews 11. I am so excited about getting into Hebrews 11. This time it's almost like God is is having me anticipate the, this move of faith uh, here in our church. And uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see uh, what the Lord wants to do. So tonight at 7 o'clock, uh, our final encouragement from our exhortation would be a better word uh, from Hebrews chapter 10. And then uh, two weeks from tonight, we kind of kick into a um, a long, drawn-out study on Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I'll be teaching in Luke 15, the second half of the prodigal uh, son story. This week, we concentrate on the real problem child in the house, and that's the one who's at home who thinks he's fine the way he is, the, the uh, brother, the older brother, who, who is as lost as lost can be. I know you're going to church wherever you go. Um, let the Lord use you. Uh, ask God to give you some divine appointments. Look for people uh, in your church that you don't know. Don't just hang out with the same people or sit in the same places. Uh, look for somebody that you don't know and, and maybe be a blessing to him or to her. Um, find people who look like they need prayer and be the man or the woman that God can use. It will change your church experience exponentially. Uh, all you have to do is be available. Let's get to some questions that were sent in here. Um, first, we got a phone call, I'm told, already. So, oh, my friend in California, Tanya from San Leandro Online One. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Tanya, are you, Tanya, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? Oh, hi, Tanya. I can hear you. Okay. I was calling. I have a question um, about First Samuel uh, 28. And I guess my confusion is mostly about the place called hell. And mm-hmm. I was confused. My, my thought process started when I was reading First Samuel 28. And it says uh, in verse 19, Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, 
and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Where is with me? And and, and because it's Samuel talking, right? Mm-hmm. So I was confused with, and I know it's, and I guess that's a two-part question. Where is uh, be with me where? And then secondly, is is there, when we talk about hell, is hell created now or is it, at the in the end time, Revelation, Lake of Fire, like is that all hell? I get confused. <laughs> it is I confusing, really Kenya. Hey, before you hang up and listen to the question, how's Marcus doing? Doing amazing, thank you, sir. We we couldn't have asked. I mean, you know, the the biggest adjustment for us is to remember that he's God's son before he's ours, and it's amazing <laughs> to watch God work through him and allow you know Marcus allow the Lord to work through him. So it's been a real blessing and. Oh, man, we're just very blessed, Pastor Ron. Totally blessed. Well, tell, tell him he's been in my heart and give him a big hug for me, okay? I will. You got it, sir. And I will listen to your answer on the, on the air. Thank you. Thank, thank you, up. Tanya. God bless you. Thanks, Papa. Uh, f- God bless you, too. First uh, Samuel 28, uh, uh, Tanya, a long time ago, came to our church, and uh, she calls and contributes a lot to the to the program as well. And we miss her, and we miss uh, her husband and her son as well. But we miss Tanya the most, I, I will say that. Uh, a, a couple of things. First Samuel 28 is, is messed up a lot of people. Um, you know, why did God let Samuel come back from the dead? Was it really Samuel? Why did he use the witch of Endor to do it? Um, uh, it? It's really not all that complicated. If you understand the Jewish mindset and the Jewish context of the passage, Uh, To say that tomorrow you will be with me, uh, that's simply a a death notice for Saul and his sons. He's simply saying that uh, this is your last day on earth. Tomorrow you're going to be with me. Where I am doesn't mean in the physical location uh, necessarily, but it means that you will be with me in death. Now, let me try to explain the where the be with me actually is. Uh, Tanya, the the insight that we get is from a story that Jesus told, not a parable, but a story that Jesus told. And uh, that story is found in Luke chapter 16, and it's the story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, they both were, 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 they died on the same day. Uh, They went to the same vicinity. Uh, One of the two, the rich man, was in torment. Um, the, the poor man Lazarus was in a place that, that we would describe as paradise. Uh, when Jesus said to the, to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, he was in a place uh, also called Abraham's bosom. Um, but between the two compartments, in the same place, it's in the abyss in the center of the earth. Um, it is um, uh, a place of torment and, um, but there is a big gulch or a, a divide between the two places. And so deep is the divide that that one cannot go over from one side to the other uh, or vice versa. So you're stuck. And when Lazarus uh, was uh, um, in the place of, of comfort, place of paradise, the rich man said, I sent Lazarus over here to, to dip his tongue in the in the water and just to cool my tongue, I'm in torment in this fire. And he was told by Father Abraham that, that no, there's too big a gap. He, I can't go to, he can't come to you, nor can you come to him. Uh, in other words, the positions there were fixed. So that's where they were. Now, Samuel didn't mean it in that sense. What he meant was, you're going to be with me, you're going to die. Again, that was just a death notice. So that's where all of the unrighteous dead went before Jesus. They went to that place of torment. They are still there, Tanya, until um, Jesus comes to get us, until we go to heaven to be with him. Uh, the unrighteous dead are still in that place of torment. Now, the, the righteous dead, and by that I mean Jews who are saved the same way we are by faith in God and God's word. Um, Father Abraham, you know, those who follow Jesus... Um, they went to the paradise side of that compartment. And that's where they rested until Jesus was crucified. And then he went, according to uh, the epistles, he went to set the captives free. 
And by setting captives free, though they were in paradise, they were still being held there. They couldn't ascend to heaven. Um, Their bodies weren't prepared. Uh, The the way hadn't been prepared because Jesus was still alive. And so um, when Jesus gave up his spirit and he went and proclaimed victory in the center of the earth, he took those who were held in paradise with him to heaven and they were set free from the bondage even of paradise. So the implication is clear that as great as paradise is, uh, heaven is infinitely better. So that's what happened. Now let me talk about hell for a moment. We use a general term for hell uh, just to describe all torment. And technically, Tanya, that's not correct. Um, the ultimate hell is, is the lake of fire. Um, that will not even be created until the end of the thousand years. At the end of a thousand years, Satan is going to be let loose for a short time to deceive the people again. And when the rebellion is complete, that's when the lake of fire, all who rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, uh, from the, the beginning of time, all who rejected him will be thrown into the lake of fire. And that's what's hell. So, uh, Anybody who dies now uh, without Jesus Christ is going to be sent to that place in Luke chapter 16, the place of torment. That's where they'll be conscious. They will be alive yet spiritually dead. And uh, that's where they will begin their sentence of eternal suffering. So um, it's we make it more complicated than it is when Jesus talks about um, the, the, the fire. Um, uh, he's, he's speaking symbol, symbolically. Um, Gehenna, um, the, the, the trash heaps that were burned around the city, the outskirts of Jerusalem. Uh, people could see it. It was always on fire. Uh, that's not hell either. That's just a picture that Jesus uses of hell. Good question, Tanya. Thank you very much for asking. I appreciate it. Um, let's go to a question sent in from Patricia. Uh, hi, Pastor Ryan. I hope you're well. I've been wondering about the passage from 1 Thessalonians where the Bible talks about the dead in Christ will rise first. Aren't they already with Jesus? Or is it that Jesus wants everyone that is in Christ or born again to meet him in the air together as one family, whether alive or dead? I was wondering about this. Um, One of the things that we have to really understand about 1 Thessalonians uh, is the context and there's a constant contrast in both First and Second Thessalonians between the us and the them. Um, when Paul writes this letter, he's talking, but but we, uh, and then he'll talk about they. Uh, we are not appointed um, to to condemnation, or we are not appointed to 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 judgment. But we are going to be rescued. But they, and the the difference then is the unbelievers. Now the context of First Thessalonians, Patricia, is such that. Uh, there was a, a false teaching that was spreading around First Thessalonians or around uh, the, the Thessalonican church, and the teaching was, and it wasn't. I don't think an intentional one. I don't think it was willful, or or, or uh, Paul would have dealt with it much more harshly. But it was just one of those. They didn't know what was going on, and you know they so expected. This is important. They so expected Jesus to come at any moment. At any moment, they looked the eastern sky every day and say, "This could be the day." And yet now as time was passing and people were dying, uh, naturally they wanted to know, where's my, my mother, where's my father? And, and somebody would say, well, I don't know. If they weren't here and they weren't alive, I guess they missed, missed out on the rapture and they're not going to be in heaven. And you can understand the discomfort that, that would produce. So the purpose of First and Second Thessalonians is to encourage them in what they'd already heard, to remember what Paul had already taught them. And he taught them that Jesus was coming for the, for the living um, before, before the end of time, not everyone would die. And we would be caught up in the air together to be with him. And the question that he's dealing with is, well, what about those who died first? And Paul's answer was, don't worry. And I love the, the way the King James says it because it sounds just the opposite. He says, uh, those who died will precede us. Or uh, he, he actually puts it in the negative those of us who are alive will not precede or prevent uh, those who 
um, died first. In other words, the, the people who died are going to be with Jesus first. And all that means is that they're already there with them, Patricia. That's what she asked. Are they already with Jesus? Yes, they are. But Paul is writing in a way that would give us a sense of chronology. Uh, yes, uh, we're going to be with Jesus, but those who died first are already there. So don't worry, we're not going to get there before they do. And that's the idea. And when we are raptured, we will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air, and he will instantly take us to heaven um, for a period on earth of seven years. There's no time dimensions in heaven. Uh, but what will happen, Patricia, is that we will be with Jesus, with our loved ones at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's when we officially celebrate us being with Jesus forever. I can't wait for that passage. Now, First uh, Thessalonians 4 is the chapter, verse 16. The, the uh, reason I said it's important, uh, and I said they expected to be alive when the church, when Jesus came for his church. I say this often, I'm going to say it again here today. The real source of power in the first century churches was that eager expectation that Jesus would come and take them away from here. They lived their lives differently because they expected to see Jesus every day. And since we live in a time where people will say things like, well, you know, he hasn't come for 2,000 years, so I don't want to get my hopes up, or I don't want to keep looking for Jesus to come. Uh, that's part of the reason that we don't have any power in the church. The pre-tribulation rapture of the church is not a new doctrine. You say, oh, it was started by Darby, and... It's only been around for a little over a hundred years. Not true. Not true. Paul was pre-trib, pre-mill in his eschatology, as was the entirety of the New Testament church at that time. We all need to sort of make an adjustment. We need to start looking for Jesus every single day. Thank you for the question. Go to my next question. I'm a little hard time seeing today. This is from Willis. He says, it concerns me that the Bible speaks approvingly of slavery. Why is there no specific condemnation of it? Well, there is, and off the top of my head, I'm going to say it's in First Timothy. Uh, Paul talks about men stealers in the King James uh, and, and condemns them very, very harshly. And that's speaking of those who steal um, the souls and the bodies of men by taking them into slavery. Now, Willis, what you have to understand uh, is that slavery in Bible times was completely different than our Western uh, concept of slavery. Um, um, certainly God would never condone slavery, but throughout the New Testament, he treats it through the Apostle Paul especially, as though it's a fact of life. That's what it was. Slaves outnumbered free men in the Roman Empire by four to one. And when somebody got saved and they were a slave, it didn't mean they could stop being slaves. Paul didn't write to them, uh, well, we'll run away. He didn't, he didn't do that. Uh, he didn't even write to slave owners, uh, a man who was wealthy like Philemon, from that little one chapter letter that we have uh, written to him. Uh, Philemon was a slave owner. Philemon got saved. He became a pastor, what we would call a pastor, uh, in, in uh, a church in Colossae. Uh, he didn't say, Philemon, let your slaves go. What he said was, basically, let everybody stay where they are. Slavery was an economic thing. Slavery was, uh, um, uh, people were born into slavery, just like people were born into Roman citizenship. The Apostle Paul says, I was born a Roman citizen. Um, other people bought it. They bribed Roman officials in order to become Roman citizens. So slavery was just a fact of life. And, and uh, Paul is teaching people how to live in the circumstances that they experienced, they actually experienced when they got saved. And so uh, slavery is condemned. Men stealers are condemned uh, very clearly by the Apostle Paul uh, at the same time. It wouldn't be effective 
had the Lord not addressed the living circumstances of the people when they were there. So Willis, um, um, I think there is a, 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 a no approval of slavery in the Bible. Um, it's just dealt with as something that people had to deal with in the time that they were. So the specific condemnation is also there. But remember, the point of the Bible isn't to address uh, 21st century uh, Western cultural ideas, ideals. Thank you very much. It's First Timothy 1.10. Thank you. My producer just brought it up for me for slave traders and liars and perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, they will uh, be people who are condemned. So, Willis, I hope that answers your question. Don't you think it's good that the Bible dealt with life the way it really was? If the Bible was written today, the Bible would deal with all these issues that have us so perplexed. The Bible would deal with how to treat immigrants, illegal or otherwise. The Bible would deal with how to treat with respect and love, but with truth, uh, the homosexual community that wants nothing to do with God. You see, the Bible wasn't written in 2019 for Texas. The living, active, immutable, unchanging Word of God was written a long, long time ago. Here is a question from Andrew. He said, Andrew, every, every Christian's felt this way at some time. He says, Pastor Ron, I know the Bible is important, but why didn't God make it more clear? Uh, Andrew, I think there's a couple of things here. I, I've shared this before um, about my story. When I, I got saved, everybody, somebody got me a brand new Bible. It was a leather-bound King James Version of the Bible. It had my name on it. And I, I was so proud of it, but I couldn't really open it. Uh, there was such a spiritual battle going on, I, I couldn't really open it. sat on my desk every day at work. But every time I'd open it, I'd almost get queasy, you know, nauseous. And, and one day I just decided, hey, I'm going to read this. And not having grown up in a Christian home, I'd never opened a Bible. Now I'm reading my Bible, and it makes sense to me. Now, I didn't understand Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I didn't understand all of those difficult things. I didn't understand why God would, would, would require that every man, woman, and child in Canaan be killed. I didn't understand election or predestination. There's a lot I didn't understand. But here's what I understood, Andrew. And the Bible says, do not be drunk. Now, I never drank. I knew that meant that if I were a drinker, I couldn't drink anymore. And the Bible says, flee from sexual immorality. It meant that all sexual immorality had to go. If I called myself a Christian, Jesus was my Lord, it, it had to go. It meant that if, if God said, let no unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, it meant I had to change not only the, the, the words, but the tone of my speech. I couldn't lie, cheat, or steal anymore. I understood all of those things. And I think, Andrew, sometimes we're looking so much for the big, mysterious picture of the Bible that we pass right over the little things that are so abundantly clear. And I think the Bible is intended to be read by us, not as a, as a, a, a book to study, but as a book to give us direction to live. So let me say this, Andrew. I think if you will read the Bible... And be obedient when you know what it's saying to you. I think the rest of the Bible will become more and more clear to you. I think the Lord intends for us to invest in studying the Bible. I think he intends for us to take it seriously and to, to sacrifice time and make an effort to do so. And I think when we do that, the questions that we have about the things that we don't understand I think all of those questions will start to get answers. I think part of our problem, Andrew, is that we want to open the Bible. We want that quick way. Well, you know, we, we, we go to Cliff Notes. Uh, when I was in college, I don't even know if they still have them now, but when I was in college, you had to read a book and study it. I'd, I'd, I'd go to the Cliff Notes because I wanted the easy, the shorter way to do it. Um, we, we want multiple choice questions because we want to be able to figure out which answers are more quick. We don't want to work. And the Bible tells us 
that we're to study to show ourselves approved, work men and women rightly dividing the word of God. And if the Bible isn't more clear to you, I would ask you, so how seriously are you reading it? How obedient are you being to what you do understand? And what's your motive for opening the word? If your motive is, I want to be more like you, Jesus, I want to know you better, he's going to reveal himself to you. God is a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. But I don't think the Bible is all that confusing. Now, there is a lot that I've had to study now for 28 years to be able to answer questions on this program or to be able to deal with, with some of those difficult passages. And frankly, there are still passages in the Scripture that I still shake my head and, and won't have clear understanding until we get to heaven. But the truth is that when I really wanted to know something, God has always revealed it to me. And sometimes we had to wrestle for that information, but it was worth it. So, Andrew, I hope that makes sense to you. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left on our week. We'd love your live calls and questions, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I just got an email reminding me to pray for, and I'll ask you to pray for uh, Jocelyn, Jocelyn Enriquez uh, Macasadia. Uh, she is in San Francisco headlining a show at the, um, um, I'm going to say this wrong, but it's Filipino Heritage Week or something in San Francisco. And there's a, he sent me a link to a big uh, interview with her and a, and a news story about, uh, about her performance up there this week. So please keep uh, Pastor Elaine and his wife Jocelyn in your prayers throughout the weekend. God is using them in a completely different way. It's, it's a neat thing. They've, been with us now for I think 13 years and um, so faithful and God is sort of taking her back uh, to where she came from but this time as a Christian uh, Jocelyn was a pop star um, back in the 90s the queen of freestyle she was called uh, and uh, a a top 40 selling uh, artist and now um, all these years later God is sort of recycling her back and She's able to share her testimony, the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So please keep them in your prayers over the weekend if the Lord brings them to heart and mind. 340-9585, let me go to my next question. It's from Jeremy. How can I explain to a friend whose mother has died that if he becomes a Christian and believes unbelievers go to hell, how can I help him deal with the probability that his mother is in hell. Jeremy, tough question. These are hard ones because we're trying to explain things to unbelievers uh, that they really can't understand. Um, What I always do, Jeremy, in a a situation like this, um, I open my Bible to Luke chapter 16 and I say, you know, I can't tell you where you're, in this case, in your your example, I can't tell you where your mother is. But I can tell you what she would tell you today. And I can do that because the example of the rich man who is in torment, when he's told that Lazarus can't come over and help, that his fate is sealed, he says, well, at least go and tell my brothers And the idea there is go tell them that this is real. Go tell them that Jesus is the way. And Father Abraham, of course, says, no, they won't believe even if man should rise from the dead. Um, So what I would say is this. Your mother would tell you if she were here today, your mother would tell you that Jesus is real. Your mother would tell you that he's magnificent, that he's beautiful. And if she didn't make it into heaven, 
she didn't believe and she died in that condition, she would tell you, don't make the same mistake that she did. And I wouldn't deal with an unbeliever about the fairness of God. I wouldn't deal with any of that, those things. I would simply say, the issue now is not your mother. She's beyond being able to make a decision. The decision she's made, whatever it is, and we hope and pray that she's in heaven. But whatever decision that she made, it's been made once and for all. But you, and this is what your mother would say to you, you still can make that choice. And her word to you would would be to choose Jesus. So don't deal with the fact that, how can I deal with my mother being in hell or... Or don't don't let it get more emotional than it. Just tell her, this is what your mom would say to me. And I do that when I, I use that passage whenever I'm doing a funeral, Jeremy, of uh, somebody that we know was an unbeliever or somebody uh, that we're not sure was a believer. Um, we always say, well, here's what we can tell you. They would tell you to come to know Jesus. He's real. He's magnificent. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess And you get to choose right now the basis upon which the two of you are going to meet. Will he be friend or foe? So, Jeremy, I hope that helps. Billy says, Pastor Ron, is there a second chance at salvation for people after they die? Um, Billy, the answer to that is no. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto men once to die and then face the judgment. And here's the, the logic behind that, Billy. Um, in this life, when, when, we're, when we come out of our mother's womb, the minute we're, we're created in the womb, we are going to live somewhere for eternity. We're all eternal. Life goes on, either spiritual death or, or spiritual life. We're going to live either with Jesus or separated from Jesus. One we call heaven, one we call hell. And um, we get to choose where it is, but we have to make that choice while alive. You know, the whole concept of purgatory and being prayed out and all that non-biblical nonsense. Um, we've got to choose now. I've actually had people, Billy, say to me, well, you know, I think I've got some time, so I'll live and have some fun. And, and then when I'm getting to the end, I'll accept Jesus. And I always ask him, really? You know when you're going to die. You know when you're getting close to the end. What about when people who die suddenly without warning? And really, they're not being honest. They don't really care about all this. They just don't want to stop sinning. But Billy, we've got to make that choice while alive. And God simply honors the choice we make in life and death. Can you imagine how unfair God would be if he dragged us kicking and screaming to heaven? What he will say to you is, Thy will, not my will, be done. You lived independent for me in life. You will live independent for me in eternity. And it will break his heart, but that is how he will honor our free will. So no second chance, Billy. Um, once they're gone, um, the, 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 their faith has been sealed. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions on this Friday afternoon. Kathy says, what is the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? In her question references, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, let me read it. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Um, Kathy, the best example I can give you of of godly sorrow versus uh, worldly sorrow is um, Peter and Judas. Uh, Both of them denied Jesus. Both of them were guilty of sin. But when Peter realized that he had fulfilled the prophecy of the rooster crowing and denying Jesus three times, he was broken. He was absolutely crushed. And because he was crushed, he cried out and the Lord was able to remind him of the things that he said, Peter. Satan has asked to destroy you, to, 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 to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. He'd remember Jesus saying, when you are restored, feed my sheep, tend my flock, feed my sheep. Godly sorrow means I'm sorry 
I'm going to stop doing it. I need to be with you, Lord. Nothing can get between us. Worldly sorrow is just, yeah, it didn't work out the way I wanted. Sorry it didn't work out. Sorry I got caught. But I'm not going to stop. And Kathy, that's the difference. And we see it all the time. We see people who will be in church. Uh, it'll happen tomorrow, probably. People who come to church, um, they know they're living in sin. The Holy Spirit will sort of knock on the door of their heart and they will make an effort to repent, but they really don't plan on stopping their sin. And that's just worldly sorry. Yeah, I feel guilty. Yeah, I feel bad, but I love her. I love him. Or, you know, God certainly doesn't expect me to live without sex. Or I can't go to sleep without drinking myself to sleep. Those kind of things. Uh, That's not godly sorrow at all. That's just feeling sorry for you. Sorry that you can't do the things that you want to do the way you want to do them. Or sorry that you got caught. When you have godly sorrow, it leads to repentance. It means there's change that comes into your life. So, Kathy, I hope that's clear. Here is a question from Greg. He says, what is the difference between normal counseling and biblical counseling? And what type of counseling do you do? Well, Greg, for me personally, I I obviously do only biblical counseling. I am not a, um, a believer in sort of psychological counseling or, or, uh, you know, let's kind of look inside and visit your inner child and, and find out what the foundation for, for your problems are. I, I'm, I'm the guy when we counsel, we open the Bible and say, if you do this, things will get better. If you don't do what it says, things will get worse. I had a conversation some time ago now with a man who has been in counseling um, uh, with, a, with a therapist for well over a year now. And he came to talk to me and, and he kept saying, well, my therapist says, my therapist says, I told him, I said, look, if you don't stop thinking and spending your effort on what your therapist says, I, I'm here with the word of God. This is what the Bible says. And he says, yeah, but my therapist is trying to help me find out why I am the way I am. And my response to him is, was, yeah, but I'm here trying to get you to stop being the way you are and start being more like Jesus. And he looked at me so confused. He said, you mean understanding why I feel these things and why I do these things won't help me? I said, no. But the God of the universe will help you if you simply say, Lord, thy will be done. And really, that's what counseling is. Counseling is very simple. And, you know, when I was a, a, a young pastor, um, Paula talks about this from time to time. She'll say, you know, you used to counsel people for hours. And it was because in my immaturity, I thought I could change their mind or I thought I could say the right thing that would just kind of the light would go on. Uh, because I wasn't aware, at least at that early point in my life in, in Christ, I wasn't aware that there's nothing I have to offer except the Word of God, and it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And over the years, my counseling has gotten more direct and, and certainly less time-consuming. And I want people to know that when they come in here hurting, whether it's marriage counseling, grief counseling, um, just just whatever it is. They come in here hurting. I want them to know that that they can leave here better. Doesn't mean that it's going to be magic fixing. What it means is that they're not bound to this. You know, therapists are amazing. They charge you money and and they keep stringing you along. I have an interest in doing that. I'm not saying that's their motive. I'm sure they believe they're helping. On the other hand, we don't charge anything for counseling. And Greg, what happens when people come here and I, I tell them, okay, why don't you tell me what's going on, why you're here? And once they tell me, I think I've got a little bit of a handle on it, I'll tell them this. I'll tell them, look, you can leave here today better than when you walked in. And the only thing you have to do is do what the Bible says. If you do what the Bible says, things will get better. If you don't, they'll get worse. And so then I ask him, are you going to do what the Bible says? 
And most often people say, yes, pastor, I'm going to do what the Bible says. But then when I tell them what the Bible says, then they start objecting. And that's when the problems come in. But, but the point is, look, I, I tell them, I can't help you until you do what God says to do. That's what biblical counseling is. Biblical counseling is not throwing a Bible verse at them. Biblical counseling is pointing people to Jesus, the great physician, the healer of our souls. And so, Greg, that's the kind of counseling I do. And um, not, not just me, but Pastor Ken, Paula, does a lot of counseling with ladies. Uh, most of our pastors and their wives uh, are involved in counseling to some degree or another. And the truth is, we've all found out that we can't fix anybody. And if they won't do what God says to do, nothing is going to get better. I think that's what biblical counseling really is. Now, we're compassionate, and and I can talk to people differently than most people. I can talk to people differently even than my, uh, my staff pastors can, because um, I've been here for 24 years, and people have, I have an equity. They, they know my heart for them. They know I love them, and they know I love God. And I let them know that I'm here to represent Jesus. I'm not here to represent you. I let them know that Jesus never negotiates. It's his way or no way. And when they understand that, then we have a foundation to move forward from. So I hope that helps. I'm, I'm not sure if that's what you were looking for. Um, anonymous. Nope, I'm sorry, I got a phone call before I do that. Thank you for that, Sam. Uh, Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I was reading um, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Now, there's two parts of it. It says, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. Now, the part that I was focusing on, that's a real good part, but the part that really caught my heart was, As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And I just thought that was so precious. So I'll let you comment on that part of it, and I'll listen on the radio. Bye. Thank you. Uh, you know, Peter, very Jewish in, in his thought process. Um, one of the things that just blesses me to death about Peter is he was willing to set aside um, what meant so much to him in favor of what the word of God had to say. So when he says, we have the word of the prophets made more sure, I like the King James, um, he says that because you know, when the prophets, uh, all we have to do is read them. We understand that a lot of people didn't really understand uh, what they were saying. Um, you know, the, the, to whom is he writing? Is this prophecy for us? Well, sometimes they understood that it was clearly. But in this particular case, um, he, he's saying, you know, we don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, the, the, the verse before that, Cindy says, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. So what he's saying is, look, we had God himself. You know, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, you can read John's epistles and Peter's epistle. And it's clear that for both of them, this was a life-changing event, a moment they would never forget. They saw him, Jesus, and it changed them. And that's so he says, look, the word that we have, we're not guessing. We have his word. Peter's point here, I think, is a critical one for us, Cindy. He's saying that experience is not dependable. But the word of God is. What other people say, how you feel, the circumstance in your life, none of that is any of your emotions. None of that can be depended on, but the Word of God can. You know, in the early church, much like our church, there were a lot of people who claimed divine visitation. And there are always people who are eager to say, thus saith the Lord, you know, to point themselves out as some, some prophet. But these were experiences, according to Peter, that couldn't be verified. Peter's saying that none of us can depend on an experience, but we can all depend on God's pure word. Our Bible, Peter here is equating the word of God that you and I open every day to the same 
word that he heard from Jesus in his transfigured state. It's so very, very important that we understand that we can truly hold on to this Bible. And when he says, and you, we will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. You know, the Bible shines in our world. Um, Our world is very dark. The Bible is light. Christians in the dark world are light. Uh, With the progress that we've made in communication, the gospel travels today uh, at light speed, like no other time in history. Um, As you know, I'm on the program here, and I have radio programs uh, that literally go uh, all over the country and in, in other countries as well. In a single radio program, uh, I can speak to more people than the apostles did in their entire lifetime. That's this light that shines in the darkness of this world. No matter how the world tries to attack the Bible, it still shines. And uh, I, I just, I, I just think that's an amazing thing. I'll give you an example um, from my own life. Um, we had a, a strange letter come with a small check uh, a very, very, very long time ago now. Um, and it was a, a small check. It came from Gambia on the west coast of Africa. And they were thanking me for being their pastor. And I thought, well, I've never been to Africa. I'm not their pastor. But they told us, they were listening to cassette tapes, but they were people who were listening to my cassette teaching tapes. Only God could do that kind of a thing. Um, Paul and I still get anniversary greetings and emails and texts from all over the world, Australia, New Zealand. Um, God makes sure his light shines on his dependable word. All we have to do is declare it. So, Cindy, I hope that's what you were asking. Um, Our job is to make sure that we have this for sure, word of God in our hearts and on our tongues so that whenever the need arises, we are ready with an answer for the hope that we have within us. Good question, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. How are we doing on time? It's about seven minutes. Um, here's an anonymous question. I like these kind of questions. Pastor Ron, I really feel like God is asking me to take a huge step of faith, but if I do, I'm not sure how I will be able to pay my bills. And then he asked me, how do you pay your bills? <laughs> uh, anonymous, you know, um, I laugh because I've lived this question my whole life. For 24 years here, since we landed in San Antonio, Texas, uh, my whole life has been a series of steps of faith. The one thing that I'll tell you to do, if, if you can get here and I, I don't know you, um, the series that I'm about to start in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to lay the foundation for it tonight, and then it'll be two weeks from tonight, next Friday night, we're actually going to be having a, an ordination, and Pastor Ellis is going to be teaching next Friday night. Uh, so two weeks from tonight, uh, I'm going to be starting to really dig in to Hebrews chapter 11. You know what that is. It's the hall of faith. And it's that moment where every single man and woman who is given to us as an example of faith are people like you and me, Anonymous, who were terrified. The things that God was asking him to do made absolutely no sense. And um, yet they took the step of faith and they end up in Hebrews chapter 11. I can promise you, when you take a step of faith, God will move on your behalf. Now, here's the problem. We're looking for certainty. And God is saying, trust me. God, you do this and I'll believe. I think about this, Anonymous. If, if Paul and I would have waited until we had money to come to Texas, what would we have missed out on? We probably never would have the money to come to Texas. We came for one reason, one reason only, because God said to go. You know, Anonymous, the, the day we left, actually it was the evening before, 
Uh, we left for San Antonio the first time, uh, twenty more than 24 years ago now. Um, I asked Paula, I said, Paula, we, we have enough money to fill our truck up with gas. Got a little tiny bit of money left, but certainly not enough to buy gas again. So what are we going to do? We can get in the truck and just run the gas out? Are we going to trust him? And her answer to me was, well, I guess if we run out of gas, God will meet us there with more gas. And that's when I really knew that we were going to be okay. That she was in this with me. All the way. And we came here without money to eat. We came here with no ability. We, we, could, we could have lasted 30 days. After that, we had nothing. And we saw God move on our behalf over and over and over, Anonymous. I guess all of that to say, do what God tells you to do. If you're married, make sure your wife or your husband, whoever male or female this is, is in agreement. And when you know, then you go. It's that simple. How do I pay my bills? It's an amazing thing. I made this comment last week on the program. Last First of this month, we paid the last mortgage payment on our house. We never dreamed we'd have a paid-for house. God did miracles. So just go. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Appreciate the calls and the, the cooperation this week. It's been a good week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, we'll see you next week on The Word to Stand Up for Life. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand weekday afternoon at 4. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand on for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.